Hello and welcome to the Oregonian Sports Podcast. I'm Bill Oram, and if you're listening to this podcast and you enjoy conversations about sports in the great state of Oregon, then you're going to love our new text messaging campaign. That's right, text messages delivered directly to your phone by myself and other reporters at the Oregonian. All you have to do to receive those messages is shoot a quick text over to 503-386-0095 for insights from on-the-ground reporting from James Crepia, Nick Daschle, Ryan Clark, Nick Strang, uh, Joe Freeman, Aaron Fentress on the Blazers. We have it all covered. Uh, Again, that number is 503-386-0095. Take a quick break. Text that number. Okay, you've done that? Great. Now we're going to skip the texting, and we're going to go straight to one of those people who will be texting you in the next few days. James Crepia, our Oregon Ducks beat writer, our stalwart in Eugene, and our man on the scene on Saturday for Oregon's absolute thrashing of the California Golden Bears, 63-19. to James, how you doing? Were you able to stay dry on Saturday? Uh, yes, it was... Uh... Somewhat successful in that regard. Uh, if anybody t- stayed totally dry, uh, I would love. Uh, I'd love to know uh, how they pull it off because that was uh, that was a difficult one to uh, to accomplish that feat. Uh, no matter how early you showed up or no matter how late you left, uh, but it is that time of year. It's uh, part and parcel, and uh, in the grand scheme of things, I, I adjusted my predicted score in part because of the weather. Uh, uh, not even the weather uh, could could dial back. Uh, uh, Oregon's offense, uh, no matter who the quarterback, running back, receiver, uh, or anything else was, uh, that was uh, that was as sound uh, a lopsided uh, whooping uh, as you will see uh, in conference football. Certainly under the conditions. James, I got to tell you. So I was in Boulder with the Beavers for their game at uh, at Coach Primeville, and I was watching I was watching in my room now you have to know after the Utah win readers of the Oregonian would know that I wrote that Bo Nix not only should be in the Heisman Trophy race he should be leading it that he has been the best player in college football that the Ducks are you know are good enough to actually play for a national championship not just weasel their way into the college football playoff all of that all the superlatives all the hyperbole and then on the first play of the game I watch in horror as Bo Nix throws a pass to his his brother, Tez Johnson, and it goes off Tez's fingertips for an interception, Bo's second interception of the year. I have to ask, it's a long game. It's a 60-minute game, four quarters. It certainly didn't portend disaster, but what were you thinking on on that first play? And then really those first few minutes when it was about as bizarre of a start to a college football game as you're going to see. Well, what I was thinking on the first play was, well, weather's going to be a thing today. Uh, <laughs> that's what I was thinking. I was like, all right, well, you know, cause it, again, remember we were talking about the first play. It, there was a downpour before the game. I mean, yeah. un- unlike, uh, you know, the, the mistiness, uh, that later arrived or that usually is here at this time of year, uh, it was downright pouring. So yeah, I figured there was going to be a slick track and everything else. And I figured that it was going to be a little bit hard to throw the ball through the air again. That's why I kind of not so jokingly did adjust what I thought the score was going to be. Uh, but yeah, then it happens on the first play and just go, all right, well, <laughs> it's going to be that kind of day. It's probably going to be a lot of running, and therefore the clock's not going to stop a whole lot. And you know, okay, it'll be a little closer than uh, than some thought. Uh, and of course, then yes, the back and forth between takeaways and giveaways and penalties and penalties that negated touchdowns and you know, second and thirty-seven that doesn't make a difference and it, it, you name it. Uh, yes, it was a bizarre yeah. first quarter insofar as. 
uh, Oregon's offensive execution, uh, Cal's offensive execution for that matter. Uh, just, just sloppy. And if you had to boil it down to anything, just say, yeah, it was just sloppy. It was sloppy across the board. Um, it was ugly at times. Yet, uh, they go to halftime <laughs> with Dan Lanning being justifiably annoyed. And uh, they're on pace for well over 600 yards that they still nearly hit. Uh, and end up, you know, and being on pace for over 60 points, which they also hit. But, you know, when you are process-oriented, uh, as they proclaim to be and very much are, yeah, you're going to go in feeling like, well, between that play, between the snap that deflected off of Tez Johnson, uh, that had nothing to do, you know, it wasn't his fault, but, you know, certainly didn't look good. Uh, between, again, the just volume of penalties, uh, some of them very much self-inflicted. Yeah, they're going to go into halftime feeling like it doesn't matter what the score is. Uh, this was ugly. And that's not reflective of uh, what that team is capable of. And I, I think they showed a little bit more of what they're capable of in the second half in that regard. Uh, but that said, yeah, on the first play, to your point, I, I thought it was just like, all right, well, we're, we're, we're in for a we are in for a sloppy looking kind of game, which is I, I frankly, I kind of expected more of it than we even got, even though the first quarter was quite yeah. strange in that. Well, and, and, and James, I guess, you know, how should we, where should, where, how, I guess, hmm, how do we feel about the Ducks now with three weeks left in the regular season? They are in great position to uh, make a push for the college football playoff. They win out, they're going to be in. Um, that should include a, a Pac-12 championship game win over Washington, most likely, um, but not assuredly. Joe Freeman was at the game for us. He wrote that he thinks that this is a national championship caliber team. I've said the same thing. I don't know if we've quite gotten your perspective on that yet, though. Um, with the body of work we've seen from the Ducks and and the blowout of Cal, and maybe the blowout of Cal you know, isn't that impressive. But this Cal team has been tough. It has given, has given teams trouble, um, more offensive than defensive, which is a bit of a, uh, a paradigm shift for a Justin Wilcox team. But you know, at this stage of the season, going into, um, you know, what is a big game against USC, they're all big games at this point, of course, but SC certainly brings a lot of firepower and the defending Heisman Trophy winner to Autzen Stadium. Um, what, do you, what do you think this, where do you think this team sits in terms of the CFP and, and Bo Nix's Heisman hopes? My perspective on this Oregon team really hasn't changed since before the season. To be honest, uh, nothing that has occurred has really shifted my perspective on the team as a whole or on Bo Nix, really at all. Uh, I expected them to contend for, and I picked them to, in the preseason poll, win the Pac-12 championship. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, you know, I'll stand by that. Uh, not 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 because again, as for those who are new to the program or, or new to me, uh, not because I am from here, went here, uh, have some undying allegiance to. No, I just objectively, I believe they are the best team, and I've felt that way going into the season. I have felt that way every single week throughout the season, uh, including after the loss to Washington, where I thought they were still the better team uh, and played the better game. Yeah. Uh, having said all that, I agree with you there. Uh, thought Nix was going to be a Heisman contending player. Entering the season, felt that way before the billboards, after the billboards, before games were played, you know, 
after padding stats against uh, some really, really terrible pass defenses uh, and after playing uh, particularly well, obviously, at Utah. Uh, nothing that happened this past week has altered that in any way, shape, or form, uh, or really the past couple of weeks for that matter. Uh, look, they're still at that caliber to me. Uh, they've still they've justified every one of those positions uh, and validated every one of those positions. Uh, if anything, what I'll say is as a whole, as now we are reaching this point in November and the rankings are coming out every Tuesday and that's going to draw people's attention as it should is it's not just about where is Oregon or where is Oregon relative to Washington or, Hey, well, Ohio state, Michigan are going to play. So whoever loses is just naturally going to get knocked away. No, no. You know, the conversation that kind of began last week, but will now certainly ratchet up uh, in the weeks ahead is, Oh yeah, there's Alabama. And what if Bama actually beats Georgia and Mm -hmm. everything in a year where the SEC was thought to be down and we had to caveat where any number of their teams were. And here's two time reigning champion Georgia going for history and they're not even one to start and every which other thing. Now the conversation is going to shift over the next couple of weeks to, hey, could the SEC get two games in? Should the Michigan-Ohio State loser be left out? And why are we so convinced that uh, the Pac-12 champion, even if it's an undefeated, Washington should get through, let alone a 12-1 and Oregon? Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's going to be the conversation for the next several weeks. What I'll say as far as uh, my perspective, again, my perspective on where they are as a national title contender or Knicks as a Heisman contender, again, I, I, I'm unmoved uh, in my positions there. I've, I've held them for months. What I'll say is, is there is going to be amid that conversation in the playoff rankings in the weeks ahead, as long as everybody keeps holding serve until, you know, the next couple of weeks and and rivalry weekends and those Mm -hmm. things, there's going to be a dialogue that occurs, particularly out of the Southeast part of the country about relative caliber of defenses played. That's going to be a dialogue that, some will get into in the Heisman race. Uh, I think some in Ann Arbor and uh, their quarterback, some out of uh, Tallahassee and their quarterback, uh, maybe a couple out of uh, Baton Rouge, depending if Jaden Daniel stays in it. But ultimately, it's going to be, well, who, who do they actually face in terms of a defense? Or they just, you know, throw all these yards, whether we're talking about Bo Nix or Michael Penix or whoever. Was there a single NFL player in a single secondary that they played? So it'll start individually. Then when we get to conference championship week, I think some of that conversation is going to shift to collectively, uh, particularly if Alabama is sitting there at 11 and one. And what if they do beat Georgia, uh, particularly if it's Ohio state who loses to Michigan and doesn't get to play in the championship game, but there's the cloud of everything hanging over Michigan at the moment. Uh, particularly if Texas is certainly uh, sitting at 11 and one and, and, hoping to just win the big 12 in that spot, depending on how many teams and which brands they are, who are still alive to make it to the playoff at that point. I think the nitpicking at the PAC 12 in a year where the PAC 12 was top to bottom, the strongest it's been <laughs> in a long, long time, uh, certainly nationally had, well, that was going to, that, that, that was going to be my, that, that, 
that's where I was going to push back, James. And and you know, you've given this a lot of thought and have way more familiarity with the SEC than I do. But the Pac-12 has had eight of its teams ranked at various absolutely points this season. And I know that that is, that is not necessarily an indicator because Colorado not very good, Washington State not very good, UCLA meh. So I mean, some of those teams that have been ranked have been overranked, but they have been like you were saying top to bottom so i wonder how much that is going to factor in when the when when you know the rubber meets the road as opposed to you know the big 10 hasn't been as good top to bottom but ohio state and michigan have been obviously head and shoulders above you know we've seen it before you know does a one loss team there when they've been you know when they've been top two three all season long um necessitate one of them falling out of the top four um and and how much does an oregon you know dominant showing against you know washington state really move the needle when we see washington state at one and seven in conference yeah and that's that's where i say i bring up every other possibility because it's not to me just about um against michigan or ohio state today or whoever the winner ends up being um once they're going into uh, championship weekend it's more about the ultimate doomsdays uh, from a West Coast perspective of you know, what if what if Bama beats Georgia? I mean, in what mm-hmm. in what universe do do you reside where you think the SEC champion and the two time reigning national champion who will have just lost in the conference title game don't both get in? And if you start with the position that under that scenario both of them get in. I don't really care what you think about who won Michigan, Ohio state and whether they're one loss or undefeated the big 10 champion, if they are them and not whoever wins the West of Iowa yeah. uh, uh, beats them. All right. That's three. And now you've got a potential one loss, Texas, who, by the way, you know, has the win over Alabama who's in under that scenario, or uh, you have an undefeated Florida state. That's where I say like, there is a doomsday here in this final year of the 14 playoff that is not favorable whatsoever to not just Oregon, but not favorable to Washington. And that conversation could change again. Look, it's, it's, you know, this is part of the fun of the sport is that we talk about all these scenarios because of the, of the playoff system. That's not as inclusive and as large as it should be. But that conversation, like I say, is going to happen as long as everybody keeps winning this year, uh, which I realize like college football has shown historically that that doesn't always happen. And it could all be a moot point. Sure. But my point is, is that for Washington and Oregon, uh, you should be hoping that history continues to repeat itself because right. you shouldn't just sit back and go, Oh, of course they're going to get in. Even though I'm with you, this conference has been stronger than you name it, than the big 12, than the ACC yeah. or the big 10 this season, that this, that this uh, uh, conference that was going into the season with the year of the quarterback has the year of the quarterback with the best passing offenses, but the nitpicking will go bananas about how bad the defenses were top to bottom. And again, it's going to start individually about Heisman candidates. And then it's going to shift in the final week plus or so before selection Sunday and conference championship Saturday and Friday, it's going to shift to the, the whole, the collective as long as, certain teams are still alive. If Alabama's already suffered a second loss, it, it won't be an issue. If Ohio State beats yeah. Michigan, I don't think it's going to be as big an issue because other than the people in Ann Arbor, nobody's going to go to bed for Michigan. Um, if Texas somehow stumbles 
before it gets to the Big 12 championship. Not going to be a thing. But if you have all these other parts of the country still very much alive, I think that nitpicking is going to go extreme. And I don't think the politicking and the pounding of the chest and the championing of the message from the West Coast, uh, one, is that strong in general, certainly hasn't occurred in mass uh, at all. And I'm not sure it can because this conference is so disjointed and people are suing each other right now that I'm not sure they're going to certainly circle the wagons uh, to accomplish a collective goal for anything because I don't know who the collective is right now. Yeah. I guess, James, like I, I, the way I look at this is the and I, this can all shift. You're right. And a and a and a win over Georgia catapults a one loss Alabama. But, you know, where 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 CFP rankings matter early, at least to my mind, is based on what we've seen so far. The committee has has put Oregon ahead of the other one loss teams in the country, including Alabama um, and Texas. And, and so and Texas. And so the burden is on those schools to leap Oregon. And if Oregon takes care of its business and, you know, handles USC with, again, the reigning defending Heisman, the defending Heisman winner handles an Oregon state team that has been ranked in the top 15 all year, despite um, now multiple losses, and then goes and avenges a loss to a team that every poll and include plus the CFP has told us is a top five team and avenges that in the Pac-12 championship game, I don't really see the body <clears throat> keeping Oregon out. The problem is you only have so many spots, and th- somebody ends up getting you know, the, their feelings hurt or somebody ends up feeling snubbed. That's just the system we're in, and that's going to be the system when it's 12. There's going to be the 13th and 14th teams are going to feel like they got snubbed. But I just can't see, given what the committee has told us they think of Oregon and Washington up to this point, that if Oregon does run the table – and again, you made a great point also, which is oh, there's a lot of season left. Three games is still a lot of season left because look at where we were a year ago and what we thought of Oregon last year when they had um, at this stage, they had Washington, Utah and Oregon State left. And we probably thought we we're going to be heavily favored in all of those. And in fact, we're favored against Washington and then end up losing. Bo Nix gets hurt. You know, hello, Holiday Bowl. Like, isn't San Diego lovely in December? So, I mean, a lot can change. But I just look at what the committee has told us it thinks of the Pac-12 uh, with Oregon and Washington at five and six or six and five, and I just don't see that if one of those if one of those schools does win out, and Washington has looked wobbly by the way, Washington has looked really wobbly in four of the last five weeks actually, and in fact I would even say I think Washington has been very close to losing all five of its its last five games, which are you know Arizona. Oregon, uh, Arizona State, Stanford, and you're making and my case. Like, for they've been me, in position to lose all of those. I am, but it also darn it, retract, retract it all. Uh, we'll we'll edit this part out. But my point is that Oregon is in great shape here. But I I, I hear what and, you're saying. And, and um, James, the, the, I, some of the ahead, some make, of the ahead, some of the things that validate that current position start to steer again. My my scenario is not just ultimate chaos. How about just Alabama beats Georgia? That alone. Forget about anybody else. Just that alone. Let let everybody else keep winning. Let an undefeated Florida State. Let a, a twelve and one yeah. Texas. Let let a, a, a Michigan Ohio State winner be the undefeated team. Hey, uh, things that work in Bama's favor. Texas keeps moving up. Ole Miss keeps moving up. Yeah. Uh, they played Tennessee as well. That's a valid point. 
they just got one of one of their better wins over LSU. That's a valid data point. Uh, Kentucky is not going to be a world beater, but they're a bowl team. Uh, Auburn very well could be a bowl team. So number of bowl teams played, relative caliber of wins uh, for Alabama is improving with each passing week. And if they were to beat what at that point might be number one, Georgia, certainly no worse than number two yeah. uh, after the Michigan-Ohio State loser is knocked out of the way, uh, that will be the best win at that point in the country combined with a conference championship. Uh, so that's where I say, like, there are data points that are moving in Bama's favor over the coming weeks. Uh, that that, uh, you know, the giant was thought to be dead. And those who have uh, played this game before <laughs> and have watched this movie know that until it has multiple losses, that giant ain't dead. Uh, it just isn't. Uh, and, and the mm-hmm. enterprise around it uh, will, isn't, isn't either. Uh, and frankly, nor should it be. Losing to, at this point, uh, what, the number seven or eight team in the country uh, in a close game, that, that should not be an automatic disqualifier for them, uh, quite honestly. And no, they've not been the Bama of, of your and Laura and all that, but nevertheless. So, like I say, let's, let's see how the next several weeks come out. But I pointed out simply to say, prepare yourselves for, for the debates and the arguments, which fortunately in the not-too-distant future, Bill, uh, albeit it'll be with uh, Oregon in the Big Ten, uh, but some of these debates will uh, not matter as as much as much uh, insofar as the, they will come with home field advantage. They'll come with conference championships and beating rivals will always matter. But uh, the idea that you would potentially miss the playoff would only happen if you had, you know, multiple losses in a stretch like this compared to, uh, yeah, you could be left out even with uh, a 12 and one record and, in this year of all years, that would be, uh, like I say, there's just this scenario. I, I don't envy who's on the committee right now because they have, frankly, they need to hope that the chaos scenario doesn't present itself because of all the years, this would just be true disaster uh, for the playoff committee if yeah. if these kinds of things break their break that way. James, uh, I you you mentioned obviously the Big Ten. Uh, and and next season, uh, we got the schedule last last week. We got a glimpse of what uh, your life is going to look like next fall. We had previously heard uh, who the Ducks were playing where, uh, but we didn't know um, when. And I wonder what jumped out to you about um, the Ducks Big Ten schedule, which starts September 28th at the Rose Bowl against UCLA. Uh, then they're home for a couple of games against Michigan State and Ohio State at Purdue home against Illinois at Michigan on November 2nd. And then they close with two of their last three at home, plus a trip to camp Randall and Wisconsin. What are your takeaways from now seeing that schedule uh, on paper? Well, I thought, um, like you say, the, the who and where uh, was already known and, and announced. So you can't be like, Oh, you were shocked by any of the uh, destinations or whatnot. Totally. Uh, but I thought that as a format, uh, you know, I'll get to the specifics to Oregon specifically, but I thought as a format that this was actually uh, quite disappointing for the Big Ten as a schedule. And I say that because I don't think it's particularly equitable or right that a conference schedule has, in a two-by season no less, has teams in Oregon and Washington who have a bye week in the second to last week of the season. 
You'd be like, well, what about the LAs? No, no, no. They have non-conference opponents at the end. Like, yeah, their their conference portion is wrapped up the week before, but they're still playing football that week. This is not the Pac-12 where SC has a true bye before playing, uh, you know, in, in some years. No, no. They're still playing games. Uh, Oregon and Washington aren't playing a game in the second to last week of the season because they're going to then play each other. Uh, that That's wrong. If I were the other teams in the league, I would feel that was wrong, let alone those two teams who shouldn't be too thrilled about it. Uh, for Oregon's purposes, being the only team that plays eight straight conference games, uh, again, in a two-by season, no less, I I would be... If I if I were somebody who had a vested interest in so far as uh, you know in the administration, uh, both of the university or the athletic department, uh, I, I, in the football program, I would be absolutely livid. I'd be irate about that. That's wrong. That should not occur. Under any, I don't care who the team is. I I, I don't care if Indiana had eight straight home game, uh, eight straight uh, conference games with uh, you know with no buy. Anybody under that circumstance, that that should have been an automatic. This this format does not work. There's no way to justify eight straight games with, without a buy when you have two buys in the season. That, that's just absolutely inexplicable. Uh, I thought, you know, after hearing from Kerry Kenny, the uh, COO of the uh, Big Ten, uh, weeks ago, when again, when initially, you know, they got into the Big Ten and then afterward uh, when they came out with the uh, opponent rotation, that A, you know, they're going to take in the three time zone trips into account, get creative with how to do that. And, you know, they'd use the buys as a way to kind of soften the proverbial blow uh, with the West to East and East to West trips and et cetera, et cetera. To see that all of the Eastern time zone teams got that benefit and the West Coast teams did not get that, certainly not in the same relative share where literally every single Eastern Eastern time zone team who comes West has a buy either the week before or the week after, but where the West coast teams, when they go to the Eastern time zone, vice versa, that that is not uniform, that it's one of two for the LA schools, each of them, that I believe it was one of three uh, for Washington and that it's zero for two for Oregon. That's wrong. So when you have a team who has eight straight conference games without a buy, and, oh, yeah, by the way, when they go east to Michigan, when they go east to Purdue, which is technically in the Eastern time zone, uh, that you don't have the benefit of a buy before or after either one of those games. Uh, that's wrong. To me, that's wrong. That comes off as empty words when, as a conference, you say you're going to prioritize these things, and it only prioritize, it got prioritized for the Eastern time zone teams. So. I'm not, again, you can't get into surprise by way of opponents and, and locations. We already knew that. And I think that part of the schedule is great. Uh, I don't know a fan who could be possibly disappointed with the idea, especially compared to relative to who they could have played if the, if the Pac-12 continued to exist. Uh, so from that perspective, uh, if you're a season ticket holder and the like, you're thrilled. You know, you, you missed out on a chance to see Ohio State in 2020 because of COVID. You thought you were going to get to see them in the 2030s, which you still might. Uh, but it was going to be a while. Instead, you get them at home again soon. Great. If you're looking forward to a trip to Michigan again or to Camp Randall, how splendid is that? Uh, all right. Well, the Rose Bowl, which you know you kind of used to before anyway, but you know a weird, a weird thing for the record books. The first Big Ten game for Oregon's purposes, not for UCLA's because they get Indiana before that. But regardless, okay. 
But uh, and I'm not sure how many people be thrilled uh, outside of engineering uh, uh, students uh, about going to Purdue. But, but whatever, fine. Uh, but the format part of it, specifically to Oregon, but again, I would say this if I was, uh, you know, connected to the LA schools or to Washington, whether it be when the buys are or whether it be the buys relative to the East Coast trips, I think the West Coast schools uh, have a legitimate, you know, gripe. And especially for Oregon, who got, you know, on both ends of the stick uh, on that one. Uh, Not great. Uh, And like I say, if I were, to me, in the collegiate space, so many of these things are legislated to be extremely, extremely equitable to avoid these kinds of outcomes. You don't, you never have three straight road games in college. It doesn't exist in any league. It just doesn't happen. Uh, and I, I'm talking about in a conference schedule. Sometimes bizarre things happen with non-conference and whatever, whatever. But I'm talking about, you know, sure le- for the league purposes. And the idea that, well, because Oregon's playing the 13th game because they're at Hawaii, that that threw the, the ultimate wrench in. How? It's from it's from weeks zero to three. That has nothing to, that that has nothing to do with it. What's that that if that game wasn't there, that would not change anything about the availability of the rest of it. So that that is moot. That has nothing to do with anything. Um, now again, the, the the last topic being obviously uh, the unknown. I'll continue to say about whether or not they'll play Oregon State. Certainly hope uh, for all parties involved that the series resumes uh, uninterrupted or as fast as possible. Still time to potentially wedge it back in. There are finite possibilities as to when both Oregon and Oregon State could do that. Uh, So not speaking on behalf of anyone, but certainly uh, UO has maintained and continues to maintain uh, the desire and preference to resume that series in all sports uh, as soon as possible. I believe, especially while the Apple Cup has a far easier path to resuming uh, and they have not announced definitively one way or the other because of it, because Washington still has an opening in its non-conference schedule uh, that if that game were to resume, that it becomes, uh, you know, either perceived or very real pressure uh, for the Oregon schools to do the same. And lastly, the idea that the Washington game is at the end of the season, I get why it was done this time around. Quite honestly, because I hope both in-state rivalries resume, uh, from my perspective, I don't know how you can say as the Big Ten that you're respecting history and lore and all these other things. I get it for the one-off. I, that's fine. But this game has never been played at the end. In, in the modern world, since 1939. I mean, trying to put it on Thanksgiving weekend simply because, well, that's rivalry weekend. It doesn't have to be. The game can be enormous and can be it can be extremely impactful in a great ratings bonanza in late October or early November. It doesn't have to be the last game of the season. I think doing that as as excited as some fans are, and hey, they're the people who matter, not I. You know, ultimately the game will be played, whatever. But I don't think it has to be at the end to to make it a thing. I think it just naturally is. And I think if the in-state series resume that they belong at the end of the season uh, and that they shouldn't be wedged into the second or third week in September merely because Oregon and Washington chose to go to the big 10. I, um, I have often looked at the BYU Utah series uh, as something that is instructive when we talk about the future of Oregon and Oregon state, because there were 
uh, a number of years that they did not play each other after Utah jumped to the Pac-12 and uh, left BYU in independent purgatory. They did get it back on the schedule, but it was often, you know, week two, week three. Um, and, you know, it still it still uh, carried the weight it had before. And, you know, BYU now finds itself in the same conference as Utah again. So all order is restored there. Um, but looking at Oregon's schedule next year, um, is it safe to say that the Idaho game on August 31st would be the most likely buyout to try to find time find it find a slot for Oregon State the Beavers do have Idaho State that weekend and the Beavers aren't exactly in position to be uh uh ridding itself of opponents in 2024 given that it's not likely to be in a conference with very many teams and not likely to have too terribly many uh opponents that are easy to schedule but do we is that August 31st probably the most likely if they were able to hammer something out for 2024 from or is the is the Go ahead. From the UO perspective, yes. Because Hawaii does them no good. That's an immovable object. That doesn't that offers nothing. Um, you can't say, well, eliminate the game. No, no, no. You can't eliminate the game. Um, that 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 makes no sense to eliminate at this point. Um, moving it is impossible because Hawaii is booked up. So that doesn't work. Uh, you're not gonna get rid of the Texas Tech game after you went there, especially. Um, that's your power conference, uh, you know, non-conference game. Yep. So that, that makes no sense to get rid of. Uh, I don't think delaying or, or reconfiguring the Boise series really offers you much. I just don't. Um, so of the uh, in ter- monetarily, by far and away, it's the easiest to move. Uh, there's something to be said for, Hey, it's, you know, it's the season, quote unquote season opener, even though for Oregon's purposes, it's the second game, but whatever home opener, yeah. or in that case, it wouldn't even be the home opener be on the road, but, but whatever. Yeah. Early game. Uh, something to be said for that. Having said that, uh, the idea that, uh, you know, that could also potentially be the easiest game for Oregon state to move. It very well might be, but Again, there's all kinds of moving parts here because another Big Ten team, Purdue, uh, I don't know how or why it happened, uh, but somehow, some way, uh, their game with uh, Oregon State uh, for the 21st, don't assume that that's the 21st, not because of anything that's going on at Oregon State, because Purdue, and it's, I don't know, I have no idea how the people at Purdue did this, but their non-conference schedule, they have, they didn't announce their non-conference schedule as part even with their Big Ten schedule because, uh, oops, diddly, their three non-conference games, all previously announced and scheduled, are weeks uh, <laughs> are weeks two, three, and four. I'm not sure if they got the memo that it was a two-by season. So Purdue would be, th- on paper right now as it stands, starting the 2024 season in week one with a bye. Uh, I don't think that's going to happen. So where is Purdue going to create um, an opening in its non-conference schedule in terms of at least time uh, to be determined? So that's why I say there's all kinds of moving parts here, not just from an Oregon perspective, not just from an Oregon State perspective. Uh, there's just a lot happening. Uh, I think hopefully in the next week or so with this uh, court hearing and ongoing case and litigation, combined with whatever dominoes fall shortly thereafter from that uh, to say nothing of, yeah, some of these other fall sports are wrapping up and the transfer portal is about to open. Uh, and for instance, soccer, uh, Oregon state and Washington state want to have some answers for 
all of their athletes, including, yes, of course, for football, but they need to have them for everybody else uh, pretty soon, too. Uh, so lots of things that are going to lead to movement uh, and a little bit more certainty. And that will have ripple effects into scheduling, scheduling of this series again, and scheduling of the series in a variety of sports. But in terms of the football season, I more or less agree with you, Bill, that yes, that the August 31st date seems to be the most convenient. But I say seems because I I don't want to be presumptuous. Uh, I, I Because yeah. of the Purdue game, because of any number of other factors. Well, and I would say, you know, if, I mean, if Oregon State was to get, to move around the Purdue game and that, you know, September 21st became available, that's currently Oregon's first bye week. And that so, does not, yeah, right. Um, and that does nothing not, for them. That, that, that yeah. doesn't, it does nothing because you don't have, then how do you create another bye week without, I guess, short then, of buying out Idaho in week Right. One, then, then you're taking a bye. And creates, week. So you go to Hawaii, yeah. you take week right. one off, and then yeah. you come back yep. to play. Uh, yep. to, yeah. Yeah. That doesn't. Listen, well, I, w- I guess, I guess, I guess my, I, if I was going to go to Hawaii, I would then like to subsequently take a week off and just stay in Hawaii. So maybe I'll propose that to Dan Lanning. Um, okay, James, I need to let you go because this is where uh, you get into silly season. Things are about to get really crazy for you down in Eugene today. You've got, um, you've got women's basketball tonight at Matthew Knight Arena. The uh, Kelly Graves team opens up against Northern Arizona from the Big Sky Conference. And of course, the Oregon men's basketball team is in Las Vegas right now to play Georgia. Hey, Oregon, Georgia, how did that go last time? Uh, hopefully uh, a little bit better for the hoops team than for the Yeah, Mike, team Michael White doesn't have year. Brock Bowers or um, you know, any number of uh, other weapons or Stetson Bennett <laughs> or, you know, Bear Alexander and an army of uh, NFL defenders or in this case, NBA players. A um, little, little bit different, uh, I would say, on paper, on paper. If, if, if at any point the score of this game is 49 to three, something has gone catastrophically wrong uh, one way or another. But um, I would like to thank James Crepia for joining us on the Oregonian Sports Podcast today. Really critical times for the Oregon football team. We're going to keep covering it. We'll both be in Eugene along with Joe Freeman, along with uh, our social and, and photography teams uh, for what's a big time game against USC. We didn't even have time to get into that, James, but USC out of the top 25 this weekend going to have a new defensive coordinator after finally uh, Lincoln Riley says goodbye to, to Alex Grinch, which felt long overdue. Um, I'm sure we'll have some in- analysis and discussion going forward this week about how big of a, how big of a difference that's going to be for USC and how concerned Oregon should be about seeing a defense that they don't necessarily have tape on if, depending on how much SC is able to change in just one week, maybe not a lot. Um, but for insights like that, and for for those kinds of thoughts that James might have, that I might have, why don't you go ahead and give us a text at 503-386-0095. If you've made it this far in the podcast, you're going to want to subscribe to our new texting campaign, Daily Insights, from myself, James Crepia, Nick Dashell on the Beavers, Aaron Fentress on the Portland Trailblazers, Ryan Clark on the Thorns and Timbers. Hey, the Timbers are about to have a new coach. I think we're going to have some thoughts on that. And Nick Strang, by the way, has been sending updates about uh, the high school football playoffs throughout the state. So there's a whole lot there. Daily text messages from all of us here at the Oregonian, 503-386-0095. Send us a text that will give you the prompt to sign up. First two weeks, totally free. 
totally free for two weeks of insights from all of us here at the Oregonian. After that, it's $3.99 a month. Um, so give that a try. See if you like it. Again, if you've made it this far in the podcast, I guarantee you will. So for James Crepia, I'm Bill Orem. Thank you so much for listening to the Oregonian Sports Podcast. And we'll keep the conversation going with more podcasts this week. And of course, throughout the rest of the football season, uh, all the way up until possibly the college football playoff and beyond. Thanks so much for listening.